Uh, this morning we'll be continuing our, our look at the uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit, which I uh, began last week. I'm going to get you to turn back to the passage that uh, Praveen read for us this morning, which is John chapter 16. I'd like to read through that just one more time because there's so much in there that's going to bless us today. Um, I just want to share it with you once again. John 16, verses 1 to 15. So Jesus is with with his disciples in his last uh, hours, um, and he's explaining to them um, what's going to occur. And I think we need to uh, we need to understand how these things fit together uh, with with his promise to us of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It says in John sixteen verse one, "These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended." that they shall put you um, out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I'll sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be, how be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things the Father hath of mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your precious word. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who gave it to those um, writers of old. And we thank you that you've preserved it down through the ages that we can trust every word within it. Father, we pray for your blessing upon us now as we seek to learn more of this truth. We pray that your spirit would lead us into that truth, that he would open up the eyes of our understanding, that our ears would be open, Lord, that our our lives might be changed as a result through it. We thank you that you call this word the milk that sustains us and helps us to grow, but it is also the meat. And I pray this morning that I shall be able to give my brethren here a full meal. We thank you once again for this wonderful salvation that we share this place that we can come together in and we pray that we would leave this place further loving you and growing in your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we looked last week specifically at the the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at the series called Promises at the moment. And the first promise that we looked at was the promise of eternal life. And the second promise we're looking at at the moment is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so if you turn just to Ephesians with me, we'll just go quickly over those uh, verses that we read last week, which speak about the Holy Spirit as something that had been promised before time or beforehand. So Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read from verses 12 to 14, those three verses that were our foundation for last week. Ephesians 1, verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted, after that he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. So the Bible simply teaches that when we heard the truth and we received it, so which, in other words, when you hear the gospel and you receive the gospel, which means you believed in the gospel, you believe the, the, that message that has come from God, the Bible says that we were saved. 
And then because we were saved, it was part of that salvation, the Bible says that we were also sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, the one that had been promised to us. To be sealed is a fantastic picture. Actually, it's a bit like um, in, in, in when you used to write a letter in old days, you used to write the letter, you used to fold it up, and then you'd put uh, you'd pour wax on the on where it's actually joined, and you'd put your seal on that wax. And the wax would actually join to the paper, so you couldn't open it without breaking the seal, right? So that's what the Bible says that we are like. We've been sealed unto the, until the time when the person who's supposed to receive the letter gets to open that letter. And who's the receiver of that letter? That's God himself. So the Bible says that we are sealed in a way with like the stamp of Christ on us. We have his identification mark on us. And it's guaranteed that we're going to reach our destination without anyone else trying to open us up or, or having to open us up. Does that make sense? That's why we believe in eternal security. When a person is saved, he is sealed by the Holy Spirit um, until the day of, you'll notice in those verses it says, until... Um, the, uh, until the redemption of the purchased possession. The purchased possession is us. We have been purchased by the blood of Christ. So we've been purchased with an amazing price, which tells you how much God loves you. You know, when God, when, when people spend a lot of money on something, they really want it, right? Now I've seen, I've seen uh, we watch those shows, what are they called? Pickers, American Pickers or whatever it is. And sometimes people pay exorbitant prices for something that's so precious to them. They'll, they'll spend a huge amount of money on something that doesn't have any um, uh, value for me. But to them, it's worth a lot. How much did God pay for you and me? What did it cost? What did it cost him? It cost him, it cost him the, the, the life of his own son. And so that tells us always, we should all, whenever you think that somehow, you know, maybe God doesn't love me or have any doubts in your mind about maybe what you're going through in your life, that it's some sort of reflection about how much God loves you, go back to the starting point and remind yourself that he paid an unbelievable price for you. And he will, he will never let you go because you now belong to him. And he's going to make sure that you get home because no one buys something uh, and spends a whole lot of money on it without making sure it's going to reach, it's going to get to me. Does that make sense? Um, and God is not that foolish that he goes and buys something and it doesn't reach him. And the Bible says, not only are we sealed by the Holy Spirit, but it actually says in verse 14 we, that he is the earnest of our inheritance. The earnest. You know what the earnest is? It's a down payment. It's God's given us him as a down payment for what? We are yet to receive. It's almost like a guarantee of what we're going to receive. And the, our inheritance is heaven itself. It's God himself. God has given us already of his Holy Spirit, and he is the guarantee we're going to get everything. So always remind yourself about that when you may be feeling a bit alone, confused, in doubt. Always remind yourself about who you are and what it costs God to actually win you. Last week we looked at the we looked at the role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, this new covenant or this agreement that God has made with mankind. And the Spirit, it says, we liken the Spirit to water. Do you remember that? So Jesus sort of got up in the, during the Feast of Tabernacles and he said, Come unto me, and I'm going to give you living water, and that, that water is going to flow from you as well. There's going to be so much of it. And so we looked at that as a picture of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is able to quicken or bring to life our dead spirits. Because someone who is unsaved, yes, they have a spirit, a soul and a body, but the spirit doesn't work. It's not connected to God. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit then quickens our spirit. It's because of his work within, our, within us that we actually come alive to the things of God. We can begin to understand God's nature because we get connected back to him again through the spirit. It's like a dead, and I liken it to a, a tree that is withered. And all of a sudden there's a, a, a lot of water thrown on and the, the tree revives again. That's us. That's the picture of being connected through Jesus to heaven and the Holy Spirit is our water supply. 
The Holy Spirit is our life-giving source, the water that we need, the spiritual water that brings us back from the dead. Go back to John chapter 7, verse 37 with me. John chapter 7, verse 37. John 7, verse 37 to 39. It says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And verse 39 explains what that water is. But this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So that Holy Ghost is the water that comes from heaven, that revives us and brings us life. Um, when Jesus offers salvation, it's accomplished through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. From a judicial sense, from a law sense, Jesus paid our penalty on the cross. So he paid the penalty of our sin. Just like if you, if you broke the law and there's a penalty to pay for the crime that you might commit, what ended up happening from a judicial point of view, because God is the ultimate judge, he allowed his son to pay the penalty. So from a judicial point of view, Jesus paid the penalty, which allows us to go free. So when you accept that payment for you, the Bible says that you have nothing more to pay. Okay. From a spiritual point of view, we are brought then to life by the action of the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit delivers the promises to us through his action within us. And we receive eternal life through him. When we identify ourselves with Christ, and that's what we do when we get, when we get baptized, it's essentially identifying yourself with Jesus Christ to everyone else. When, that, when you put your faith in Jesus, you've declared, I'm identifying myself with him. That's why the Bible then says that what, ha what happens to us is we die. Our old self dies. It somehow gets identified with that sacrifice that took place 2,000 years ago. And there's a new me that's created. And that new me is because the action of the Holy Spirit within me grants me new life. Not only that, but what's interesting is that Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus that baptizes us. Look at Matthew 3.11. So not only do we receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says we are baptized in it. Now, do you remember what the word baptism means? Do we, does, it, does it get work? Does it work with a bit of sprinkling? No. Baptism means fully immersed. So when you think of being baptized in the Spirit, think of yourself being fully immersed in the actual Spirit. We are somehow put inside the Holy Spirit. And look at what John the Baptist confessed in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So Jesus will baptize with the Holy Ghost. Jesus does the baptizing. He is the one who takes me and brings me into the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and drenches me with the Holy Spirit so that I'm made alive again. Remember, no sprinkling, but fully immersed. But you'll also notice in that, um, in that verse, he says he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's not fire for a believer. You may have heard, maybe at a different church, that that fire is somehow the fire that God gives us to make us strong or some sort of a fire in your belly to, you know, to do his work. No, no, that fire, this fire is judgment. There's only two types of baptism you can get. You either are baptized in the Holy Spirit or you're baptized in fire. It's not both. 
If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you won't experience the fire. But if you're baptized in fire, understand this, it's not sprinkling. It's full immersion. This is speaking about the judgment of hell and the lake of fire. So it's incumbent on us to remember always that we have, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit this morning, we have an incredible responsibility to warn people about the other judgment, about the other baptism. So we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are made the children of God. And the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment of an inheritance we have to look forward to, which we can't even imagine just right now. But before we receive all these wonderful blessings in heaven one day, when we see Jesus, our Savior, face to face, and the Bible says that not only will we see him one day face to face when he comes to take us home, the Bible says that we'll be like him. So we'll be glorified like him. I'm not sure if you can get that your head around that, because I can't. But one day the Bible says we receive completely new bodies. These bodies that are falling apart and dying and, and they get left here. But the Bible promises us that the resurrection we're going to experience comes with a whole new body. One that never dies. One that doesn't go through suffering. The Bible says that body was made not just for earth, but it was made for heaven as well. But while we live on this earth, while we still exist in these bodies, we have already received the Holy Spirit as an earnest. And the Bible says that, that from us should flow this water <coughs> to others. It flows outwards from this fountain that God has put within us. So what does it mean? What does this look like? This water is now flowing from you and from me. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at in, in, in more detail today. And it's going to be using this, this passage that we've just read and that Brother Praveen read for us this morning. So I'm going to give you a bit of an outline so you can understand what we're walking into here. Essentially, we're going to look at two main ways the Holy Spirit, what he does within us. The two things, remember this because they're not too complicated. The Holy Spirit teaches us the Word of God. It helps us to understand the Word of God. It's simple enough. All right. He teaches us. And the other thing is, he empowers us to live for God. So he not only, he not only teaches us God's, God's truths, but he also empowers us to live God's truths. And he gives us gifts. He gives us abilities that we didn't have before that we can use to glorify God. That's what it means to have a new nature. God's given you and me certain gifts. And our challenge is to learn what those gifts are. But the two main ways, so he's working within us, he's teaching us, he's illuminating us, he's illuminating the truth of God's word to us so we understand it within our, our, our minds and we receive it within our hearts. And when we're doing that, he empowers us to live it. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have these things already. They're already at work in you. And what it means when, when that river, when that fountain flows from us, it's reaching other people. So the picture here is the world experiences God in us. The world experiences the Holy Spirit in us. And how do they experience the Holy Spirit working in us? By two main ways. Again, what we speak, okay, and what we do. Okay, not too complicated, right? What we speak and what we do is a reflection of the Holy Spirit working in us. That's what they experience. We experience direct communion with God. Their experience a second-hand communication with God. Does that make sense? Through us. Our desire as Christians should always be that we are more and more like Christ each day. If you're praying that prayer and that's your desire, what you're actually saying is the Holy, you want the Holy Spirit to work more and more in you so that so that. His nature, his character is more evident to other people around us. And because of what we speak and what we do, we are witnesses of Christ. That Christ is alive, that he is true, that he is the son of God. Because the change that occurred in us should be having an impact on people around us. 
So the Holy Spirit teaches us his truth. He empowers us to live it. And the world will hear what we have to say because we've learned certain truths. He has taught us those things. He's given us the words to speak. And he enables us, or they see the way we act, the way we behave, the way we live. Essentially, the Holy Spirit can manifest his power in our lives through our words and through our actions, which becomes our testimony to this world that God, the God we have bowed the knee to, is real. And the other aspect I want to look at the Holy Spirit this morning is there's a comparison that that the Bible made, we looked at last week, where the the Holy Spirit's likened to water that brings us life, right? That that quenches our dead spirit. There's another aspect the Bible speaks about. It's the, the Holy Spirit as some sort of a wind or air. Okay? And we're going to look at that. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Verse 5 with me. Because just as we were baptized in the Holy Spirit and that brought us life, the Bible says that now we are being moved by Him, just like a boat with a sail is moved along the waters. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except. A man be born of water and of the Spirit. Now you'll notice it's got a capital S in your Bible. You've got a KJV, you've got a capital S there, because you need to be born of the Holy Spirit there. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And once again, capital S and then little s. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it likes, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, or and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of a spirit. So, remember, the picture of the Holy Spirit is a picture of water that you're born out of. And he gives, and Jesus explains this thing quite, quite neatly and succinctly. Some people twist this all over the place and and bring it to a place it wasn't meant to be. Jesus simply says, unless a man is born of water and of the Holy Spirit, he can't get into heaven. Fair enough? Well, some people grab that water part and they say, oh, that means you've got to be baptized. No. Being born of water, Jesus answers in the very, explains in the very next verse. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Um... When a, when, when a woman is pregnant and her waters break, what does that mean? Ready for a birth, right? That's what it means to be born of water. Okay? Because everyone knows that, and even in those days, they knew that a baby lives and grows within an amniotic fluid of its mother. And then when the water breaks, it's born. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be born in the flesh. To be born of the spirit is akin to that, but it's a different thing altogether. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. A natural birth brings forth a natural body. But that which is born of the the Holy Spirit is the Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit is the one that gives birth and that quickens and gives us life, gives life to our dead spirits that, that weren't working, that weren't there before. We're all born in this world through water. And you know what's interesting? You look at the next part of that, that, that page. He speaks about that natural, that natural and spiritual birth. And then he says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Don't be so shocked, he's saying to him. Don't be so shocked that I'm saying to you, you've got to be born again. And he says in verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. The wind blows where it, where it wants to go. And you hear it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to. And that's the same thing with everyone born of the spirit you know what when people look at you and me they'll see the way you speak they see the way you act and they might say that's a bit strange they're going in a different direction to where i'm going in they're speaking differently to where i'm going where's that coming from they won't know 
because the Holy Spirit's the one that's moving us to speak. He's the one that moves us and motivates us and empowers us to live in ways that we didn't live before. So the Holy Spirit is not just like water, he's like a moving wind. The wind blows where it likes, you can hear it, you can experience, you can see its, its action on the trees and the things that it has an effect on, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to. The outside world may hear you speak, they may see the effects of your works, but they have no idea about where you're going or what's driving you. Now let's see these things in action. When the promise of the Holy Spirit was given to man, we're going to see these things, that the, this driving force, this, this, this gushing wind and the effect that it had on people. Remember the two ways that the world's going to, look, going to see you and you're going to have a witness to the world? To what you say and what you do, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Question, when was the promise of the Holy Spirit delivered to us? Pentecost, okay? Pentecost, that day of Pentecost, is the, that, the exact time that the promise of the Holy Spirit was delivered. Because in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, if you just, 49, if you want to just write that down, Luke 24, 49, Jesus says to his disciples, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus tells his disciples, you know what? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He's still with them. But unless he went to the Father first, he couldn't send the Holy Spirit. So he says to them, I'm, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father to you. And you know what? But hang here, hang around here in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere because it's, you're going to be soon, you're going to be endued with power from on high. And turn with me to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, which gives a little bit uh, more information about what Jesus has told his disciples, what instructions he's given them about this promise that was about to arrive for the first time to mankind. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, once again, for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Notice he says, you're, not going, to, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire, not many days. He doesn't say that. He says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. In, in a few days. Verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, pay careful attention here to what the disciples will be empowered to do. All right? So he says, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. He's going to empower you to do what? To do what? To be witnesses of him. To be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. And I think Australia counts in that that uttermost parts of the parts of the world, right? We do factor in there somewhere. We're pretty far away. Now, so what are you empowered to do? You're empowered to be a witness for Jesus. Does he say you're going to be empowered to feed all the hungry people in the world? Does he say you're going to be empowered to heal all diseases in the world? No. Does he say you're going to be empowered to dazzle people by speaking a language that no one understands? Does he say you're going to, you're going to be empowered to be able to move mountains from here to there whenever you like? He doesn't say that. What he says is you're going to be empowered to be a witness of him. And how do you be a witness of Jesus? Two ways. By what you speak and by what you do. Okay? 
how does one witness to Jesus in this world? Just two ways. And what we're going to see is these two ways exhibited from the very first time that the Holy Spirit came upon them. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. What the Spirit does on the inside eventually comes out and people witness and they see that. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is the promise received, finally. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Good on them. They followed the instruction. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And look what he's done to them. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word other tongues, and the Bible uses, the KJV used the word tongues. You'll, you'll, if you look up the word language in the KJV, you won't find it. And you know why you won't find the word language in the, in the, in the KJV? Because it's the word tongues. Wherever you said, oh, he speaks in a different tongue to me, that means he speaks another language to me. <clears throat> so what the Bible is saying here, they, they began to speak with other languages. Other, not, not just one other language, but languages. Does that make sense? And why were they speaking with so many other languages? Because the Bible says at that time there was a great feast happening, right? The Feast of Pentecost. And people and Jews from all over the world at that time had come to Jerusalem to celebrate that. And the Bible tells us they came from Greece, they came from Rome, they came from um, Asia Minor, they came from all these different places. And you know what languages they were coming with? Languages from all those places. And they're going to rock up to Jerusalem where they think everyone just speaks Hebrew. Right? So they're, going to, they're all there. And all of a sudden, these guys who are obviously Galileans, right? Galileans dress a certain way. If you were, if it's a bit like this, if you go to the middle of the city, okay, during during a normal week day, you'll you'll see people dressed a certain way, right? But if you go to if you go somewhere else, if you go to a different suburb, they'll dress differently as a standard. If I go though to a different country, they'll speak, they'll they'll dress differently. Some are very obvious the way they dress is differently. So these guys, when they came into Jerusalem and all these people from all different parts of the world were there, they were Jews, but they, they came with different languages. They were speaking different languages as well. They arrived at Jerusalem and all of a sudden it's a rooftop. These guys are all talking in different languages. And so the fellow from, uh, from Corinth in Greece said, hang on a sec, that, that guy's speaking in, in Corinthian. He's speaking with my dialect. But he's a Galilean. Aren't those guys from, from Galilee? Another one from Rome said, hang on, he's speaking Italian. <laughs> Another guy from a different place was speaking a different thing. And so they're looking at them and saying, what is going on here? They're all speaking in different languages. But these guys are just from local. These are local guys. How can they be speaking all these different languages? You know why? Because the Spirit gave them the ability to speak a language they had never learned before. That's why it was a miracle. If they were speaking the same thing that, that, uh, that, that people speak today, which they believe is the tongues of angels, um, who would have understood them? None. In fact, the, that the Apostle Paul says, when you go into the church, and if you start speaking in language that no one understands, people are going to come in there and say, you're all crazy. And so what were all these disciples doing? They're all speaking different languages. And people listen to them saying, hang on, that's, that's my language. The other one was hearing his language. The other one was hearing his language. And look at what happened. The Holy Ghost came in like a mighty rushing wind. And he empowered them. He moved them to get on that rooftop and start talking. And he gave them the ability to speak language they, they had never heard before. The Holy Spirit brings things to mind. It brings, it, he teaches us God's truth and he gives us the power to speak. In fact, 
He can still speak through you today. He can give you the words, the right words, when you need it. But notice what the disciples had to do in those days. Just wait. Be in the right place. Be in the place that I want you to be in. So by simply, by simply obeying God, by being where he wants you to be, he will give you the words and the things you need to know to perform what he wants you to perform, to reach the people that he wants you to reach. And that's what the Holy Spirit has been doing for actually for a very long time. With certain special individuals from old, he did the same thing too. Go to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21 tells us how you got the Bible that's that you're holding in your hands right now. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the prophecies that you have in your Bible, okay? So all those things are from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Zephaniah, all those all those uh, ayahs at the in the Old Testament, all those prophets in the Old Testament who either wrote or dictated to someone to write these words were given the words to speak directly by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's been moving people for a long time. The difference is that when we are baptised in the Holy Spirit, He moves us automatically. In that original passage that we read, Jesus was warning his disciples that they would begin to be persecuted. So when he left, he knew that they'd start to be persecuted. And the persecution has been going all the way along. Uh, Brother Praveen shared uh, this morning that you know he, he, he believes that the persecution is taking place today. Yes, there's plenty of persecution taking place today. Um, to be honest, it's been taking place from the beginning. Because the people of God, the ones who want to, who believe in the gospel, have always been persecuted. If you've done any study in the in the what happened during the Middle Ages and during those times, there, people were killed, tortured, simply for believing the gospel. Now, Christians have always been persecuted. We've always been the minority, never the majority. So. If you think that, that there's somehow some place in the world where Christianity is the majority, no, never been, never will be. But Jesus said that the, the road that leads to destruction is wide, and so is that gate to walk through. But the road that leads to life is narrow, and the gate's narrow, and very few are going to be to find it. So Christians, genuine Christians who believe the Bible and believe in the word of God are always going to be the minority. So don't ever feel, oh, well, you know, we should be more of us. You know what? Jesus already said the way it's going to be. And Jesus already said that we're going to be persecuted. We are living in a bit of a bubble at the moment, to be honest with you. We've been blessed because in these particular days, in these particular times, um, we are not being persecuted we're not going through tribulation in this particular country and in some other countries in the world but that's a rare thing so we need to make sure that we make the most of what we've got because historically it hasn't been like this the time has always been short short pockets of relief but long periods of persecution and tribulation so we need to make 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 these days count, okay? Um, Jesus warns his disciples about that. Go back to John chapter 16 with me. He warns his disciples that they would experience this persecution coming up. That Jesus knew the work of the Holy Spirit would also be beginning within them. 
And one of the things the Holy Spirit would do would be to remind them about his words. He would bring to mind, he would bring to memory those words that Jesus spake. John 16, 1 says, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Now, to not be offended means that, oh, you didn't tell us about this, Lord. You know, we, we signed up for this, but now we're getting slaughtered left, right and center. Jesus says, I don't want you to be offended. I'm going to tell you exactly what you're walking into here. Okay? He says that you should not be offended. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said unto you, uh, said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. So Jesus is warning his disciples, I'm telling you these words, so when the time comes you're being persecuted, you're going to remember these words. How did they remember the words? The Holy Spirit within them was, was helping them to remember. The Holy Spirit brought to mind those words that Jesus spake. Turn to Mark chapter 13, verse 9. I think it's getting very stuffy in here. Praveen, could you put maybe some air on? Yeah. Mark chapter 13, verse 9. Look at a similar type of thing that Jesus warns his followers about. Thanks, Praveen. Mark 13, verse 9. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. So Jesus is telling them, who's going to be talking, who's going to be talking through them? The Holy Ghost is going to be speaking through them. In the hours of their greatest need, when the stress is the most, when things are about, look as if they're falling apart, Jesus is saying, take it easy. Don't go thinking you're going to have to work all these uh, uh, flamboyant arguments on how to defend yourself, whatever. Don't. Just speak what words are given to you at that point. Because it's not you that's talking. You have to come up with all, the, all, these, all these arguments. Because the Holy Spirit is going to speak through you. And it's like the wind that drives a boat with a sail across the waters. You just have to... Put yourself in the right direction to catch the wind. That's all we're called to do, which means be at the right place at the right time and be there waiting for God to give you the direction. Okay? There's a story about a little boy who was flying his kite and he had an incredibly long uh, uh, string to hold that kite and the kite kept going higher and higher and higher and higher and a fellow came along and you couldn't see, there was a point where you couldn't even see the kite. It was so high up. All you saw was a string, and the fellow came along and saw this little kid with a string, you know, in the air. And he's looking up, and he can't see anything. And he goes, what are you doing? And the kid goes, I've got a, I'm, I'm, I'm with my kite. And he goes, well, how do you know there's a kite at the end of that thing? And the kid goes, because I can feel it tugging. I can feel it there. And that's the same way the Spirit works within us. He'll prod you. He'll push you. He'll, he'll motivate you to do something and think something and say something that didn't come from you, but it's coming from within you somehow. That's because he's living within us. We can't see the Holy Spirit, but we can sense him working in our lives. We can sense what he's doing. We can see when he illuminates, when he brings to life the word of God to us, and we understand it. But he's doing that in us. What he began at Pentecost, he's doing in us every day. Even our prayers are motivated by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? 
Even when we pray, and the Bible says, even if you don't know what to pray, it doesn't matter. If the words don't come out exactly the right way, listen to these words in Romans 8.26. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses, the things that aren't right with us. We've all got problems. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us with those problems. He goes, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's true for all of us. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which can't be uttered. He's interceding for us. He's groaning from within us. He's saying the words within us that we don't even know. But those words within you, if you're perceptive enough, will motivate you to speak those words too. So the Holy Spirit teaches us the truth of Scripture because he is the author of the Scripture. He is the one who motivated the men to write those words. So we are being taught by the author of the Bible. And not only that, he teaches us God's truth. He empowers us to live it. Now go to, to John 16, verse 7. John 16, verse 7. We'll just read the, the next portion of this. Because... Jesus is reaching the world through us. It's imperative that we understand that we are to God, not just important from the point of view that we're his children, but that he is using us, that he's working with us to actually reach the people who don't know God. John 16 verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Well, we know that. And when he is come, he will... Now listen to, what, listen to what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Now that is, that is the greatest sin of all. The sin that will send a person to hell is to reject Christ. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of righteousness. Of righteousness. Jesus lived the absolute perfect life. The only, the only perfect life in the history of mankind. And he is with the Father on his own merits. The only person in, in, in history to actually live a perfect life and return to God. He rose again that third day because God accepted the sacrifice, Right? Because he accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made, it meant he was a spotless lamb. He was spotless. There was no sin in him. And we can gain the, his righteousness by believing and trusting in him. And the final thing of judgment. Because the prince of this world is judged. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The devil's been judged. Just hasn't been put away yet. He's been judged and he's lost. And he knows he's lost. But as much as he can, as much havoc that he can cause, as much destruction, remember, he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy, the Bible says. And he's doing that on a daily basis, and he's doing it very, very efficiently because he's causing the majority of mankind to go to hell. He's keeping them blinded, he's keeping them uh, fooled, he's keeping them deceived, and he wants to keep them locked up in a, in a cage as long as they can. As long as he can, because if he keeps them locked up long enough, he knows they're going to end up with him. And he feels much satisfaction when he takes a person who was created in the image of God and has it and manages to get them to go to hell. The Holy Spirit will prove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Does he do it without using anything? What does he use? How does he do that? Does the Holy Spirit just go flying around and then goes to a person and reproves them of sin or convinces them of righteousness or convinces them? No. There are two things he uses. The word of God and us and those in combination. He uses us to reach the world. I'm not sure how many of you have been saved without ever having spoken to anyone. Has anyone, has anyone gotten saved without ever speaking to anyone? Has anyone ever sh not sh gotten saved without someone sharing the gospel with them? Or them, I suppose YouTube would be the same thing, wouldn't it? 
Huh? Someone's recorded themselves and they're sharing that gospel. But you'll notice that almost every person that gets saved has heard it from someone else, has seen someone else, knows someone else, who's, who's reached them. How do you think they get convicted of sin? Let me ask you a question. How comfortable are your friends when you don't do the things they do? <laughs> Does it make them comfortable? No. No. When they go doing what they normally do, when they're off swearing and, and, and doing stuff that they, that, that they already know is wrong anyway, right? They're swearing or, they, or they're saying bad things about other people or they do things that, that we now find offensive and are hurtful. We, we, we don't want to have anything to do with it. When you don't do what they do in their presence, they feel all of a sudden uncomfortable. And in fact, some of them get very defensive that you don't do what they do anymore. They find it strange. How do you think the devil convicts them? You see, we become the avenue, the channel through which the devil convicts people because we don't do what they do. And we shouldn't do what they do. We should have a very clear delineation about the way we live for God, both in this church and out of this church, and it should be the same, right? Okay. Easier said than done sometimes. But that should always should be the way we live. Consistent lives with integrity. How do, how do people get convicted? Well, sometimes they, they're around people who make them feel uncomfortable. That's okay. We can make people feel uncomfortable. It's not a problem at all. But turn me to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Because not only does God convict the world through us, but when we declare the word of God, they find it also convicting, and they learn about the righteousness of God, and they learn about the judgment to come. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God if you've done that. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Who are these people with lovely feet? Who's got lovely feet here? Who's willing to show their feet in public? <laughs> Yet the Bible says how beautiful the feet of the people that actually bring the gospel to, other, to, other, to them. Because without them hearing the truth, how are they going to believe? If they don't know in whom they have to believe, and how do they learn in whom they have to believe? Well, they do it through you and me. They hear about judgment. They hear about sin. They'll hear about the righteousness of Christ and how he died for them at Calvary, who do they hear it through? Through us. So you and I have a pretty important job to do because without these beautiful feet, and what do feet do? They're designed to walk. So be moved by the Holy Spirit. Let him move you. Let him get your feet moving to where he wants you to be. Don't hang back as a Christian because life is too short that we have here. And the opportunities are very, very limited. It's the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. Let's look at the last portion of John 16, 12. John 16, 12 to the end of that, um, of that passage that we read. John 16, 12 to 15. Jesus says to his disciples, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now just on just a side note here, there are some, there are some uh, 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 denominations or, or, or Churches, Jehovah's Witnesses are probably the perfect example. They say the Holy Spirit isn't a he. They say it's an it. You're not the Jedi force. They think it's like that. 
they believe that the Holy Spirit is some sort of a force that you tap into and somehow that force can be used. So in other words, he doesn't have an identity. He's only the power of God. But funny enough, over here it tells us, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come. He will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. Whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things the Father are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Don't let anyone ever, ever try to convince you or to convince you that the Holy Spirit is not a person, because the Holy Spirit is a he, not a she, not an it. Okay? It's, it's a he. It is the Holy Spirit, though, that guides us into the truth, which I've been sharing you, with you from the beginning of the sermon. Many of you have experienced this in your life. It's before you got saved, the word of God, as you read it, maybe had no, no meaning for you. Then all of a sudden, things started to click together. Holy Spirit starts teaching you stuff. All of a sudden, you get born again, you get saved. All of a sudden, that word becomes completely alive. You see yourself in that word. You see God in that word. You see the universe and everything that revolves around us explained in that word. Who do you think is doing that to you? Do you think we did it off our own, off our own bat? No. We haven't got that, that type of insight and that type of intelligence. It's the Holy Spirit who opens up our eyes and opens up our ears to hear the word. And if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, not only is he teaching you his word, he's motivating you to move and to be a witness of Christ, but he's also motivating you to be more like Christ. Galatians says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit this morning, if you've been baptized in the Spirit, if you're born again and saved, the Bible says to you, now walk in the Spirit. But it's your choice and my choice. I can put my feet up and take it easy. But the Apostle tells us, if you're living in the Spirit, if you've received eternal life, start walking in it. Walk. Put one foot in front of the other and go where he tells you and me to go. That part is up to us. And that's what the Bible calls the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will walk in his direction. You know, D.L. Moody once stood up on a stage in a platform and held up an empty glass. And he asked the audience that were listening to him, he asked, how, do I, how can I remove all the air from this glass? <laughs> how do you remove all the air from an empty glass? And one person put up his hand and said, oh, maybe we can pump it out. And then Moody said, well, if you try and pump, an air, pump the, all the air out of, a, of an empty glass, it's going to break, isn't it? And one person offered this suggestion and that suggestion, and then Moody went over to a, to a table, grabbed a pitcher of water, and there you go. Not empty anymore. It's filled. And that's what we've been called to live like. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow him to do what he has to do. Keep away from sin because sin quenches him. Sin, it grieves him. So when we are walking in the best way to be filled with the Spirit is simply to walk in obedience and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Walk in obedience. Walking in obedience is the best way to grow in Christ and be filled with the Spirit. The obedience demonstrates our willingness to be moved by God. If I'm willing to obey, God's got the indication that I'll go where he wants me to go. But some people don't obey who are Christians. And they know they should be obeying. And they don't obey because they're fearful. The more I obey, the more I might think that God's going to bring me to a place that I'm, I don't want to go. And so some people don't obey. My admonition to you this morning my um, my uh, plea to you is obey and be willing to go where 
God takes you. There is no freer place you can be than where God wants you to be. Turn your boat, aim your sail, be ready to walk, allow yourself to be filled, and let God take you where he wants you to go. And you will have the most glorifying life to God that you can imagine. And remember, the world sees us and experiences us when we speak and when we do. Do and speak and don't hold back. God bless you. Brother David, thank you.